Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. The shark. Friday the 13th, Canute. What a day Friday the 13th is. Is that an American thing or is it in Norway or people? It's worldwide. It's worldwide? Oh, yeah. Hmm. How'd the corona close today? Horribly. (laughs) You know. I, mean, the stock I don't even know why that here, came to my the head because I know I feel tanking. bad. I, I, so and, and, so and the U.S. dollar is getting yeah, stronger. Yeah, it's been yeah, yeah. it's been well. No, it's Norwegian kroner is getting bad. Also, also towards uh, euro. Oh, against yeah. euro even. Yeah, it's the, the oil thing. It's the oil well, thing. it's the oil thing. Yeah, oil vey. So welcome to Panic with Friends. Where uh, why don't we have an underwear sponsor, Canute? <laughs> I've lost a few pairs this week. <laughs> we- <laughs> Why do we got just financial products? I need, I need fresh undies. <laughs> so I, I'm actually learning how to use the mic finally. Well, I, this that, is the I'm, most time am, I've spent in front of a mic. I'm I'm very thankful. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Stop taking kudos for yourself. It's not becoming of a Norwegian. The guest today, legend Brad Feld. Uh, he'll introduce himself, but uh, we go way back. Good friend. He's a fine caddy, and. Uh, a hypochondriac like myself, the or closet hypochondriac. His dad's a doctor. You can't blame him. All right. So, Canute, I wanted to test because I can't travel. It's kind of fun, the, the travel ban in a way or whatever we're going to call it because I'm home and I have a reason not to do it on Zoom. You know, I love traveling, but it's good to be home. Yeah. And it's good to say no, especially if you have an out. And now we have an out. Does that give away my accent? Out? A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. And it's good to have an out because, you know what? Zoom is okay. And and this is going to be new social norms. Kind of like Purelling everything that I touch. The So I'm testing, uh, ask some of our companies. We'll circulate some ads from our companies in here. And I asked Koi Finn to write something up for me. And so here it goes. This episode of Panic with Friends is brought to you by Coifin, one of our portfolio companies at Social Leverage. If you want to track and analyze what's happening in the current market turmoil, I got to tell you, Coifin is fantastic. It's a web-based platform. You can appify it and let you analyze stocks, ETFs, mutual funds, and other assets all in one terminal. I use it every day, chased them down, followed it for years. We finally invested. And I use it to track what's going on in the market. And I think if you try it, you will too. It's got a lot of high-quality data, powerful functionality, and a clean interface. And for now, free. You can sign up www.koyfin.com. That's K-O-Y-F-I-N.com. Okay, Knut. All right. You feeling okay? I'm feeling great. Should we call Brad? Let's call Brad. All right, let's do it. Hi, uh, you've reached Brad Feld. Please leave a message. That's a hell Brad of an interview. <laughs> I'll try it one more time. Maybe, yeah, I'll try it one more time. All right, let's get Brad on the phone. Okay, here we go. Brad Feld. Feld Brad. 
Howard Lindzen. Sorry, we went to voicemail. My phone has that. Send people to voicemail if you don't recognize the number of feature. Got Knut in the studio. Knut and I went to grad school together, so I, he's. This is the reason we get to do the show because he's he's cranking out edits, and and uh, so it's no worries. Right. Hi, Brad. Hello there. Where are you today? I am uh, in my bunker. You're 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 in the bunker with the puppy and Amy. Yeah, and we're in our bunker. Yeah, we're in uh, Boulder. Uh, we're we're in Longmont, Colorado. Oh, okay, I don't know Saint where that Rain. is. Well, it's near Boulder. It's the oh, house. right, right, right. You've been, okay. you, been to our house. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've been so I, I, learn, I, I've kind of, I kind of go when you're not there because it's so yeah. big and easy to get into. It's the best time. <laughs> the, uh, all right. Well, thanks for being on the show. You know, this is Panic with Friends, and you know, we we've we've seen our share of panic, so we're not really panicking. But it's a fun topic, and we've got a lot of good guests. So I appreciate you coming on. Yep. The I, if we could give uh, the listeners just a little bit of background, Techstars and Found, Foundry Group, if you could. Sure. Uh, I have been an investor now going back to the mid-90s. 1994 was when I made my first angel investment. Uh, prior to that, I was, an, I was an entrepreneur and had a company from 87 to 93. Uh, and I very clearly remember the... Uh, stock market crash of 1987. Um, I was living in Boston at the time, so I'm old enough to sort of have lived through that one. But you weren't into the market. You were a geek, so you weren't really into the market. I was market. a geek. I was yeah. running. Yeah, but there's a, fun, there's a fun story there because my business partner and I were good friends with a fraternity brother who was a number several years older than us, and he worked for Drexel. Oh, God. And, uh, you know, Drexel was, you know, a big shot yep. thing then. And uh, our friend's name was Joe. And, you know, he was uh, he had called Dave at the end of the day and said, I don't remember what he said, but something like, you know, this is the most fucking insane thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and so, you know, we were sort of tuned into it, even though I was a geek and I wasn't really. But you didn't, you didn't get your ass handed to you in that panic. I didn't have any money, so it didn't yeah. matter. Yeah. The market uh, has an amazing way of, uh, of getting people, whether you're Drexel or even SoftBank and the, the WeWork thing, it just has a way of uh, humbling the biggest it finds, you, it, it finds you out eventually. So anyway, <laughs> the, end of, the, the end of the background is I started a venture fund with a bunch of partners in 2007 called Foundry Group. We do early stage investing uh, all across the U.S. And I co-founded Techstars with three other guys, including David Brown, who run it today, and Jared Polis, who's governor of Colorado. And very busy. I just texted with him about something else, and he's uh, uh, he's. We just had our first uh, COVID nineteen death in Colorado, so he's on his way to no shit uh, El Paso County. So it's uh, it is a real thing here. And um, was there an older person? Yeah, I I think the person was over eighty. Okay. Um, so I've been investing for uh, you know private companies for many years, uh, and been through lots and lots of ups and downs. Yeah, that's what we'll talk about. And um, congrats on the new logo and everything at Techstars. I was there at the beginning. <laughs> I like it. I, I mean, I it's like so it funny too. how you throw had, stuff nothing, together. I, and it's I had so, nothing to do with it. I know. Somehow, somehow the original Techstars logo lasted for a dozen years. Isn't so that amazing? We talk about it all the time because it's kind of important with founders. It's like with stock twits and, and, and Canute. Are you, are you awake, Canute? Yeah. Hello. <laughs> and uh, I'm kidding. So, and is this the, is this the Howard Lindzen show? Or the yeah, Howard I, show? Believe I can it never is. remember. You know what? <laughs> so, Canute and I went to grad school together. Right? So they had a Norwegian. I went to ASU very late. 
I was in law school and I kind of got switched into MBA because I realized law school was hard. And um, so I came in a little bit late and Oslo had an exchange program at the time with, with ASU, correct? A lot, Connor, of, yeah. a lot of Norwegians in the class. Yeah, I found my own, my own way. Was still. So uh, <laughs> we've just been friends since since college. And he from the early days of StockTwits, with Purdue, when we were doing heavy media at the beginning of StockTwits, he was always helping me with production stuff. So it's fun to be back in the studio with him. So that's why he's here. And he has great hair and he's tall. And he's named Canute, like 90% of the people in Norway. <laughs> There's Lars and Canute and Hans. Yeah. What's the most popular woman's name? I don't know. Uh, Gunhild? <laughs> exactly. Just kidding. This is why your corona is weak. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, Brad, the, um, the first, I mean, I don't know. Is it okay if we talk about, like, the true, true panic? Oh, I mean, 01 was the big panic, right, for you guys? Talk about anything we want. I mean, yeah. 01, 01 was the one for me that was uh, the most the most intense. Both <laughs> both business and and you know, I and, and both's the wrong word for business, comma personal, comma and for society. So for all three of those things. So can we walk? Can we walk through? Let's walk through Luminant or just be. You were at SoftBank at the time. Yeah, I was I was at a firm which had relatively recently rebranded to Mobius Venture Capital. Um, we were originally called SoftBank Venture Capital, and we had spun off from SoftBank in 1997. So it was a group of people, a few that worked for SoftBank, a few that didn't work for SoftBank, um, were doing a bunch of investing for SoftBank or with SoftBank. Uh, Fred Wilson and Jerry Colonna, Rich Levendov, and myself were all what a affiliate. Yep. We were called SoftBank Affiliates. And in 96, SoftBank was investing very aggressively in internet stuff before anybody knew what internet was. Massa. And then, back then. Uh, it was way ahead of the curve. And yeah. then, you know, the the capital became tight. Essentially, the, the money that we had coming from SoftBank that we were investing, you know, and dried up. So a group of us, uh, three of the SoftBank people and me, uh, went and started a fund. SoftBank sponsored that first fund, um, and uh, that fund raised a three hundred million dollar fund in nineteen ninety seven. And we very aggressively invested into the rise of the internet bubble. We ended up having a three hundred million dollar fund, a six hundred million dollar fund, wow, and a one point two five billion dollar fund that we raised in two thousand. And those are like real dollars back then. Back then, those were huge. Yeah. I mean, when we we raised. Uh, well, for, they were huge for two reasons. One was just the magnitude of the dollars was big. Wow, yeah. Um, and the other was uh, we were internet only. And in 1997, to like put a stake in the ground and say you're an internet, we were an internet only venture fund was a great way to get a bunch of ridicule from lots of people in the venture <laughs> community because you know there was still a lot of internet what and who yep. gives a shit and yep. you know whatever. So uh, it was a crazy ride up. I was also at the time. I had started a number of companies before I joined up with this group to start what you know was originally SoftBank Venture Cap Technology Ventures is what it was called, and then became called Mobius Venture Capital. Uh, and so I was uh, had two companies that I co-founded when public, and I was co-chairman of both of those companies. And then a couple of other companies that I co-founded ended up having uh, where I wasn't on the boards ended up having you know big runs up. So I had this incredibly intense positive run up in 98 and 99 yeah, like everything was just working you didn't even it wasn't oh, yeah. about based on opinion it just shit was happening 
it, 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 it was no correlation to reality. Right, there, was, right. there, was no, there was nothing foundationally. Well, there was. You were in the right uh, wave, and, but you, can't, you don't know when to get well, off. But, but fa- fa- foundationally from a classical business perspective. Okay. Right. right. If Back you, then if there you, was no models, if, per se. Yeah. If you looked at the businesses themselves, the premise that the internet would be everywhere and that everyone would use the internet for everything they did was the thing that drove our investment thesis. So you got that. And, I mean, that's why you, I mean, that's, yeah, why, you, well, that, that's why we went, went all in so heavily and so right. many other people did. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in hindsight, uh, Jerry Colonna, who uh, was working with Fred Wilson at the time, and maybe you can poke Fred about this when you, when you talk to him about it. Um, Jerry had a great line at, at the time and then another great line about a decade later around 2010, 2011. And the line in, in, in 99 was uh, uh, analog, analog. Hmm. And so what we were doing was we were investing in uh, creating companies that were the digital version of analog things. Like CD-ROM, so, like stuff, like floppy to CD-ROM. CD-ROM, newspapers, swap meets was, you know, eBay, <laughs> eBay was the analog, analog, right? So yeah. you, you, you went looking for anything that was non-digital, and then you looked for the digital analogy of it, and that's what we were investing in. Wow. Ten years later, 15 years later, Jerry uh, – I don't remember where the, where the quote came from. I don't know. It was a conversation we were having or something he wrote somewhere. But he basically said, you know, well, we were right just 10 years too early, which is a classic <laughs> phenomenon yeah. in, in technology <laughs> investing. Just in life. And, and in life in general. So, you know, many of the premises that we were operating under in 97, 98, 99 about what was happening with technology and innovation, if you look at them in 2020, they're completely correct. It just took longer for a certain set of things to be in place to make those companies not just, you know, have lots of users, but have economic models that actually made sense. Fascinating. So, so what a, what a, what a murderer's row of like uh, investors. So Levendoff went on to found uh, or partner in in San Diego's um, what's the name of the firm? Avalon. Avalon yeah. was like Avalon. like ten funds, yeah. and uh, and then obviously uh, Fred and and uh, wow, that was an amazing time. So in nine, so when the end came, it's like coyote. It's like Wiley Coyote. You run over the cliff and your wheels are spinning. And you're going to fall. You just don't know when. So you had to now navigate. Well, here's 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 the dynamics of the misery. So, um, so the panic it, happens, right? Like, do you remember where you were it, it, when it, you uh, felt like, uh oh? Yeah, it wasn't panic. It was a. It was a. At first, it was a slow grind of misery. So, um, what what was going on was until uh, the spring of 2000. Uh, I'm trying to get the timing just right. Uh, a, a spring of yeah, the top was March 2000. Yeah, right. So spring of 2001, or spring of 2000, March 2000, mm-hmm. you could do no wrong, mm-hmm. and everything, everything was was uh, just exploding in a positive way, and mm-hmm. stock prices were going up like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, in April, uh, and I think it was in April when when. Um, uh, Barron's came out with the article. Uh, the front cover article was these hundred internet companies will be bankrupt in a year. And uh, they rated um, all of the, I mean, maybe it wasn't April of 2000. Maybe 01. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, it, I'm not sure the years matter at this okay. point, but it, it was don't. in that time period. So you sort of hit this peak and things get tougher for a while and whatever. 
And then this Barron's article comes out. And that was the first moment for me that was the, oh, shit, you know, this this really is going to be over moment. And I think I think that's the right timing because the Barron's article must have come out in 2001, not 2000. Okay. Um, because even at, I turned 35 at the end of 2000, and I, one of the companies I was co-chair of, uh, their Luminate? stock, no, Interliant, uh, so Interliant, their, their st- yeah, their stock, their stock had gone up to, you know, went public at 10, their stock went up to 50 something, is three billion dollar market cap, and then it had drifted down, and I think it was about 15 or 10 bucks a share, sort of through the course of 2000, right, as things were starting to go negative everywhere. And we were in a sale process for the company. Mm-hmm. And that sale process, uh, the buyer was cable and wireless. And on my birthday, we, we thought we they had a board meeting. We thought we were going to get a call that they'd approve the deal and we'd finish it off. And what we got instead was a call that they decided to cancel the deal. They'd missed their first quarter in like five years or 10 years or something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. And the board had said, until we get our shit together, no deals. Um, so that was the end of 2000. Then you have this Barron's article and I had four companies that I was involved in were on the hundred company list. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and my, my first still reaction, pretty cool. yeah, my, in my, well, I never had the reaction. That's pretty cool. My first reaction was fuck these people. Yeah, uh, of course. But it is. Then, well, I say that I, every weekend to Barron's. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, then, then I went down the list and through, I had invested in some venture funds. Sure. In between a bunch so of you probably own 70 of the companies. It wasn't 70, but it was 15 or 20 of them. Right. And I remember thinking, and you know, what they had done was they'd done the point, the amount of money that companies had in the bank uh-huh. and they were all public companies. They figured out the, the runway. I fucking remember this. Exactly. And I remember reading it and some of the runways were like three, four months. Yeah. And you know, the ones I was involved in were maybe like, you know, nine, 12 months. Well, think how little months. that is. That is frightening. Right. They really was a good article. That's right. And they're public companies. Yeah. And I thought, and, and, and all of a sudden, you know, the capital markets had frozen yes. up for, for secondaries. Yeah. And, um, what I realized when I saw that piece was I just shifted mode. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I said, okay, you know, got to preserve cash and all these companies. Then here's the next couple of things that happened. So, mm-hmm. 2001, the first six months was just a grind. So, you know, I turned 35, I'm happy, I'm healthy, I feel good. And I'm just, I just head right into this grind. And day after day, every, I was on four public company boards, every company stock price is going down. Um, Nothing's going right. I had two companies go public sort of at the end of the summer of, of 2000 before the market Topped, yeah. uh, completely closed up for new, new issues. And, you know, one of those companies was worth a billion dollars for a nanosecond because went out of 10 and the first trade was eight. Oh. And all, all of a sudden, every board conversation I'm having is about running out of cash, doing riffs. And, um, uh, and then eventually it became, you know, uh, repricing stock options. And then eventually it became doing stock splits because I got under a dollar and how do we stay listed? Oh my goodness. And that was the first half of 2001. Um, happy, combined with, happy 36. Yeah, it was awesome. That was combined with a bunch of companies that were private now, you know, needing to do new financings. And the private market had completely vaporized. Yeah. Right now, interestingly, venture there was plenty of venture money in venture funds, but nobody was interested in doing any new deals because they were dealing with their shit. Yeah. So you went looking for somebody to lead a new round and everybody's like, nope, call me, you know, later mm-hmm. because right now I've got a portfolio of 10 companies and I got to go shovel my own shit. Yep. And so, you know, a sort of steady wave of companies that clearly were 
we're going to fail. And for me, emotionally, I was getting pretty ragged by mid-2001. And I had this attitude. I, I'm, you know, I like to think of myself as a pretty happy-go-lucky person. I don't have much of a temper. Mm-hmm. I can handle a lot of stress. You know, lots of uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. lots of other people's stress gets flung at me, and I kind of absorb it. And I kind of get up each day. And I'm like, all right, well, whatever was yesterday, here's the new day. Let's go. Let's go get what you got to get done. Mm-hmm. And today will be better. And I woke up sort of mid-June, and I'm like, fuck. Every day so far this year has been been worse than the previous day. Mm-hmm. And I said, ah, I'm just going to change my attitude. It's like, all right, today's going to be worse than yesterday. Let's see what the <laughs> world has to throw me at. Me. Yeah. And that was actually really helpful, huh. right? It, it wasn't a capitulation or anything like that. It was more of a, you know, you keep waking up, uh, and sort of my internal narrative felt, you keep waking up hoping things are going to get better. Yeah, don't be an ass. Don't worry about it. Like whether they get better or not doesn't matter. Like mm-hmm. just go deal with the stuff you got to deal with. So, you know, I trundled through the summer, continuing to do all that and, you know, flying all over the country and trying to deal with everything. And I was constantly crisscrossing West coast, East coast. So Monday mornings, I go out to the Bay area where we'd have a party. Were you meeting. Boulder back then? I still, yeah. I lived yeah. In Boulder. Mm-hmm. So I'd fly out on the first Cause that's not easy. To, Cause you're like schlepping an hour to the airport. Oh yeah. No, yeah. I get up at four. I mean, here, here was my week uh, in 2001. Mm-hmm. I get up at four o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. I drive to DIA. Oh. I fly. To, I fly to San Francisco. I get to my office at eight fifteen for my partner meeting. It's supposed to start at nine, but doesn't really start till nine fifteen or nine twenty because people sort of wander in late mm-hmm. because they got to drop kids off at school or they stayed out too late Sunday night or whatever. Mm-hmm. Have partners meeting all day long. I would usually stay over Monday night in California for Tuesday and deal with stuff on Tuesday in California, and then I take a red eye to New York. And I, that was, I was co-chairman of one of the public companies was based in, in purchase. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would then work in New York for Wednesday, sometimes Thursday. Uh, and, you know, sometimes I would fly somewhere else and then eventually I would get back to Colorado on Friday and I'd sort of crawl, you know, into my house at the end of the day, Friday, pretty broken. And Amy would patch me up and, you know, take care of me and feed me and let me sleep all day Saturday. And, whatever. And then Monday morning at four o'clock, it started over. And I did that week after week after week. Yeah. So part of the, part of the thing that people, uh, will see maybe, and we can talk about this is just, it's not just the pan. It's the grind that follows the panic. You can't just panic and then, Oh, it just passes. The panic sometimes passes, but that's only, that's only, that only the, then the, the grind the, comes. The panic is not the important part. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that this week, you know, this is, we're Friday yeah, the 13th, right? Yeah, we're Friday the 13th. And this week, this week was the week that the U.S. panicked. Don't you think? Like, and I was really, that's why I want to do this. I can feel it. I've been through so many, and I'm like. This This was the week. And in, in, in the markets, obviously, the panic is incredible. Like, you just see the incredible. daily swings up, down, up, down. That yeah. That's in the market. But I think it's even more significant. You know, I, I'm. I'm very optimistic and general, generally speaking, you know, I think the U S is slow to get going on things, but when the U S gets going on things, man, they kick into gear. Mm-hmm. And I think it, there's a lot of structural reasons of, around the way our society is set up to do that. And media. Uh, well, yeah, maybe yes, media, but even, even like power powerfully, like the structural dynamic, we don't have a single federal government, right? We have a, I mean, we don't have a single government, we have federal government, then we have a bunch of state governments. Yep. And, you know, the state governments 
can can operate independently, but in you know in 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 joint coordination. So, you know, it'd be hard to make the argument that our federal government got ahead of this, mm-hmm. right? We we kind of wasted six weeks, eight weeks that could have been really a really proactive executive branch and legislative branch would have been all over this eight weeks ago. Okay. Uh, so we, we missed that. All right, whatever. State governments started getting after this about four weeks ago in California, in Seattle, uh, specifically in New York, after things started to, you know, be visible yeah. and, you know, visible and escalate geometrically. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that today every, uh, state government and the federal government is now all hands on deck. Let's try to get after this. And, um, you know, there's plenty of hard choices being made. I'm sure we're going to have lots of second order effects that are a function of having wasted six or eight weeks, but there's no question that, you know, the grind has begun. Yeah. It is, it is I think now. That's what we were scared of, or at least Trump was scared of, or somebody was scared of the grind. Well, my experience is after every panic comes a grind. Yeah. And the grind could be long or short. It's true with every company. I mean, any company that's had an exogenous shock, you know, a competitor that shows up, Apple ships your product, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Uh, 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 the thing that you guys were in the, you know, your company was in the market for all of a sudden gets integrated into the new iPhone. Exactly. It just becomes a feature. Um, yeah. You have a thing that's on fire and all of a sudden, you know, your, your thing is down for two days yep. and the whole world is screaming at you. Or, you know, you're part of something and then there's some regulatory thing that changes that's exogenous to you that causes you not to be able to sell your product anymore. Whatever. You you have a very sh- – as a, as a leader, you have this moment of short-term panic like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all going to be over. And then the best leaders and uh, uh, one of my m- most amazing experiences around this was with, with James Park at Fitbit. The best leaders um, take a deep breath. It's not that you don't feel turmoil and and fear inside, but you take a deep breath and you say, all right, what do I need to do to go deal with this thing? And as clear-headed as I can be, I'm going to collect information but make quick decisions, and I'm going to be as calm as I can, you know, through it, Um, versus the leaders who vibrate all over the place while it's unfolding. Sure. They add to the panic. They add to the panic or who deny that now there's a lot of hard work in front of us. Yeah, the grind. And, and, you know, you have this illusion. I think this is, you know, you, you, on the stock trading side, think about it from this perspective, stocks trading at 10 bucks a share and and it goes down 50% in a week to five bucks a share. Mm -hmm. We just saw that. uh, Now that you're holding stock at five bucks a share, do you anchor your mind on the idea that the stock is worth 10 bucks a share? Or do you accept the reality that stocks worth five bucks a share and then make your decisions based on that? And, you know, this is life. This is, this is the moment. It's, how, it's the same thing. Right. And yeah. I think most people, it's very hard to let go of the fact that a week ago, the thing was worth 10 bucks a share. Gosh, if I could just go back in time, a week, percent of investors just can't make that leap. And it's, right, it's like it, tough, yeah. tough shit. You can't tra- travel back in time. Yeah. You're here. Yeah. And so now, now what are you going to do? And if you generalize that concept, not just in trading, but to business and to social dynamics, <laughs> you know, right. to what you're doing in the world, like, yeah, you could have, you could have made a different decision a week ago, but you didn't. Yeah. All you have you is can, the decisions. It just seems like we knew this was going to come. And, and again, it's, it's no different than us 
saying it was the virus that finally kicked this thing over the top. But there was all these, you know, you know, when you think of the cartoon, the Wiley Coyote and the and, and the rabbit, it was always him just eventually running off a cliff and his legs would keep going. And that's all I remember as a kid. It was like business school one oh one. It's like he's he's gonna fall. He's no matter how fast he how fast his legs are spinning while he's in the air. And you know what happens next is you hit the ground and now you gotta decide you know, contextually, what's what's the North Star and where are you driving towards? Or do you get rid of the $5 stock and find a better five, you know, or a better That's company? Right. That's right. So I think, I think in the, you know, in the moment that you go through whatever the panic phase is, mm-hmm. when you're on the other side and you are no longer in the midst of it. And by the way, weekends are kind of good times to regroup, right? Yeah. Because, you know, if you say, all right, well, that week's over and you regroup a little, I mean, if anybody thinks that next week's not going to be a shit show, then they're deceiving themselves. Like, no, they just think because the market went. I was just telling people, as I as I said, that you you got a break today. It doesn't mean Monday is going to be sunny, right? And I mean, the virus from a from a COVID nineteen perspective, like we're 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 just getting started in the U.S. at trying to get ahead of this. Mm -hmm. And if you if we you know there are many many things that need to be done well to get ahead of this and the idea that we're going to get ahead of it in a week is fantasy Mm -hmm. and so you know from a you know just go down whatever level you want from a public health perspective there's an enormous amount of work in front of us that's going to get harder because of the increasing rate of infection over the near term and increasing rate of death that will generate more potential panic because people don't really know how to understand it. This is where media can be very helpful or very unhelpful, mm-hmm. right? Um, I saw an article the other day, yesterday, I think, <clears throat> that compared what um, what Hannity was saying on Fox a month ago to what he was saying today, literally quotes. Oh, and? Right? And, and a month ago, he was saying this is a conspiracy. Uh, I won't get the quotes right, yeah. nor do I really want to be known as yeah. quoting Sean yeah. Hannity, but, yeah, exactly. but independent of what your politics are, like he was basically, the media was the, you know, the, the sort of far right, you know, media machine, whatever you want to call it, was saying, there's Hoax. nothing to worry about yeah. here. It's a hoax. It's not a big deal. You know, our healthcare system's great. We've got everything under control. Please don't worry. And now what it's saying, you know, look, president just a little while ago declared a state of emergency like that. That's a, a very specific thing. It you know, creates very specific powers that allows the federal government to kick into gear at a much higher level, which is very different than don't take this seriously. So um, the media can be really hurtful, but it can also be really helpful. Mm-hmm. And then keep going down the list. Like if you're in, if you're a CEO of a company and you say, all right. Well, that week's over. And, uh, uh, I don't really have to think that hard this weekend about anything because next week is going to be, you know, things are going to start looking up uh, bullshit. Like, you know, we, we know we have an economic dislocation coming. Yeah. It's coming still. We, exactly. We don't know how severe it's going to be. Correct. We know that certain market segments are going to hit, have it earlier. Mm-hmm. Easy ones are like travel. Travel. Hospitality, entertainment, hospitality, work from home. We don't, we we don't know yet which companies are going to benefit from the the changing shift, Correct. and we don't know 
three months from now when everybody has internalized work from home within their companies, whether that's going to change other things. So for example, I'm a person that doesn't like to go to big public events, but I like to engage Both with of people us. We're the same way. Right. I, I like to engage with lots of people. So I engage with lots of people, lots of different ways, including lots of video based events. I used to travel around and give talks and I stopped doing it. Now I do talks by video. Mm-hmm. No, to me, I, I was just telling Canute, it's fun to just have an excuse finally to just say, I can't go virus. But right. you, you kind of go back and forth. You travel like a maniac, then you go off the treadmill and then you, That's so now you're, so you've been on the zoom thing a while then. Well, I've been, I've, I stopped traveling intensely about five years ago. Right. And, and for the, you know, I probably used to do two or three public events a month that I would speak at or something sure. around startup communities or tech stars or whatever. And now I probably do a half dozen to 10 a month all by video conference Yeah, it, because it takes me an, it takes me an hour. I do it, you know, for my video conference, I don't have to go somewhere. The other end, I'd like to think that they probably get 80 to 90% of the value because presumably they wanted to engage with me. And then the most difficult part of it for me is I didn't have to travel. The, I got rid of the difficult part. I don't have to travel there. I don't have to burn a whole day. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have to shake everybody's hands afterwards when sure. they come up to me and want to talk to me. Mm-hmm. But if they want to engage with me, I give them my email address and people can engage with me. So like understanding that these rhythms can be different, uh, I think, is something that we're all going to experience for the next three months. And the, the point of making that statement is I don't know that – we understand yet how that's going to change how business works broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, once people have uh, acclimation to it. Yeah. And then the last part of it is, you know, if you go back to like 2007, 2008, uh, as another example of a crisis and even sure. 2009, mm-hmm. I think 2008 was the year that Christmas didn't happen. I, I, it just, we stood still. Things. Yeah. Things just were. Yeah, I think surreal. it was 2000. I think it was 2008. Um, I was, I was an investor in a company called harmonics that sure. at the time, had uh, been bought by Viacom. Guitar Hero. They, yeah. uh, well, the, and the product they had launched in 2007 was Rock Band. And, a rock and the band, 2000, right. okay. 2007 year was incredible. Like, yeah. It was just a, a monster. And it was continuing to be a monster in 2008. And there was the expectation that it was going to be an extraordinary success at Christmas. Uh, and then, you know, so all the dynamic around that. And then Christmas didn't happen, right? So the, I just remember the cycle of, of, of all of that. Yeah. Um, but you know, what, it re- what really happened when Christmas didn't happen uh, in physical stores? I think that was the peak of uh, brick-and-mortar retail. Interesting. And that was the, also, somebody could probably do the analysis, but my guess is that that became the really aggressive so rise true. Of, of Amazon and online shopping because mm-hmm. people didn't the big go bang to stores moment. to buy shit. That, right, that was the moment that it changed. That was could a coyote the over moment? the cliff moment, yeah. Yeah, could this Retail. be the moment that the way that people work changes? And by the way, if this is the moment, the way that people work changes, think about what that means for the commercial real estate market. And and think about, and, and think about for, it means how far ahead we work was ahead of the curve or how that well, not maybe getting we, public. Maybe, maybe we work was an amplifier of the end of the story mm-hmm. because the end of the story might be that we don't need as much well, we know we large don't need scale commercial office space. Yeah. And all we worked did was it extended that period of time a little bit longer yeah. because they were soaking up all these leases at very high prices. Yeah. 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 They were the, uh, they were over, they were the landlord over the cliff. I mean, what happens when all of those companies in San Francisco who now have employees working oh, at so home say, yeah. fuck it, 
you know, why are we spending a hundred dollars a square foot for office space? Why are we making people sit in two hour traffic? Why are we not, you know, having people work remotely from places that are not called San Francisco? Well, um, you know, that's like, happening anyways, but this is the big bang moment. That's right. I mean, yeah, the, 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 virus trend, tip. the trends are there, but what's the thing that causes it to become widespread broadly across society yeah. versus being a thing that some niche companies are doing in optional ways because it's interesting and cute and maybe works better. No, no. Like WordPress was one of the original work from homes and that's an old company. Right. And right. uh, Ben Thompson was interviewing Matt and now it's like, I mean, it was open source. So it was always a hip company and always ahead of the curve, but now they look really ahead of the curve because they've always been uh, kind of a remote work company. And do you have any remote work companies? Like, I mean, we have a number of companies, I would say, that are uh, very distributed, even for their size. And then we have a couple in the portfolio I th that are that are completely remote. Team Snap is completely remote, um, and um, uh, Help Scout is completely remote. And they're both, you know, over 100 people. Wow. Um, I'm trying to think. It seems like there's one other that is. But have you made any bets on re work remote type trends? Well, remote type trends are interesting because I think a lot of the existing software infrastructure that's being built today uh, actually is supportive of uh, remote work. So if you look sure. at a handful of the companies in our portfolio, they benefit from the uh, the trends. But, you know, we haven't explicitly said, OK, well, you know, here are the things yeah. that are needed. It's also interesting. I I think that. The, the technology infrastructure today is pretty reasonably well wired for distributed and remote companies. I think Absolutely. that, 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 that wave is one that should be easier to move into five, five plus years into, I mean, as a person who identifies as a remote worker, yep. I mean, I'm VCs are remote know, workers. I'm laying, I'm laying on my couch in my house in my zoom room that has two screens and zoom set up. That's been like that for probably about 18 years. Yeah. Uh -huh. Or 18 months. Did a nice job of that. huh? Yeah. And, um, you know, I've Boxes got or briefs. Uh, no, I'm wearing, uh, I'm wearing my running shorts today. Okay. okay. Um, so you have the zoom room, but it's, it's a place, it's a place that I already work. Yeah. Right. My wife, my wife and I work together and we have a, another house, uh, in Aspen and we have a very similar setup. So, you know, we share we share an office and work next to each other all day long. And if either one of us needs to go do uh, a video conference or conference call, there's another place to go. So we're not having to listen to the other do their thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all of our infrastructure is set up so that it's all cloud based. So, you know, when we go somewhere from place to place, you know, we don't have to worry about where the servers are. And, and all I that. think like, about what the schlepping you had to do in the modem era, like you had to do not only was you, we were going through the these kids today huh? but not only did you have to go through that schlepping and the grind you had to do it with like out being plugged in do you think being plugged in or not plugged in causes more stress to to uh, a, a person quick question well i i we, stress is stress is a weird word i no, think just comparatively I, was it worse flying across country without broadband or i think i think it was worse okay. i i think i think always uh always available is better because i think you can then if you want to be unplugged, so a better society for always online. Yeah. Okay. I'm you, with you. you. I just wonder. I, I think it becomes harder to be, to choose to be unplugged. You have to actually make a decision. Yeah. You've been doing digital Sabbath forever. You made the, for, you're, you're the one that I copied that. Like I, I just right. turned my phone over and now Ellen and the kids are finally getting that.
that's the new thing too. Is is the sab is the digital Sabbath? I think. That's well, I think I, new thing. I, I would also say after a week of panic like we just had, um, and it's an interesting bleed over because I think we're kicking. You know, I think a lot of things are kicking into gear now. Yeah. So I think there's going to be a lot of activity over the weekend. That's good act. You know, good yeah. activity. I'm, just, I'm thinking yeah. about Colorado and some of the things I'm involved yeah. in, and I know that people are doing. Um. Uh, but I think that's probably generally going to be true. But it's the same kind of thing is is making sure you're giving yourself some time and space from the noise uh, to let your brain, you know, your brain calm down. Like one of the challenges with panics is it 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 kicks into the flight or fight response kicks in. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, you end like up three hours one of the two ex- you get one of the two extremes. Right. And yeah. And you get incredibly anxious. Then you don't get enough sleep. If you don't get enough sleep, you make shitty decisions. Mm-hmm. You make shitty decisions. Bad things happen. Yep. And so, making sure when you're in the intense situation, uh, and of course, there's a subtle irony of all that, which is that your immune system gets impaired, and yeah. the whole idea of beating crime. this virus is, yeah. you know, have a have a healthy immune system because the chances are most people are going to get exposed to COVID nineteen. And you said it early on is just let the scientists get it. I remember I was in the hospital. I, 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 I had a kidney stone, and you, and you and I were chatting in the hospital, and you were like, get the scientists out of the Like, I was so nervous to be in that hospital. NYU did a phenomenal job, by the way, phenomenal job. But I, I was so excited to get out of there healthy. And you were like, yeah, let the scientists, like, we can handle this if the, sci- if they, if the politicians get out of the way and the scientists. Yeah. Well, that was that was me a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it was two weeks ago. Whenever somebody asked me, I'm like, the best thing we can do is tell the politicians to go sit in the corner, and give the keys to the to the to the doctors and to the you know immunologists and to the epidemiologists and for the people that actually understand how the healthcare system works because yeah. our politicians don't understand how the healthcare system works. Yeah. And so, so today was the first step away. that you're getting. You, there, someone's listening to you in the in the cerebral in the uh, karmic sense. Yeah, I think so. But awareness I, I wise. It, yeah, I mean, I think people are accepting the reality of what they've got as well, yeah. right? Hospitals are starting to realize that they're about to get swamped, uh-huh. and you know, when they're when you go from a position where you know you're able to operate normally to where you see a wave coming, then you say, okay, shit, this is going to happen. We got we got to figure out what to do. Like that's the conversation that I know is that needs is coming. Starting. Yeah. That's that's happening now. Yeah, finally, it's allowed to happen. Was happening two or like three weeks. Denial. Ago. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe somebody in a ho- you know president of a hospital system was saying, "Oh shit, this is going to be bad." But it 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 was kind of like when you'd say that, like, "Well, you know, the governor, your governor was like, well, I don't really know what to do,' and I don't and like nobody was listening yet." Yeah. So I think we're the good the good thing about a panic is you get on the other side of that. Yeah, that was the right? first like, step. You have to have that that emotional release of a system at a visible enough yeah. sense where, where you're like, not going to okay. be shamed and you're, you know, you just got to deal with it now. Yeah. 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 So, 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 uh, well, I really appreciate it. I mean, we could go on forever and ever, but uh, I wanted this to just be simply about uh, panic with friends. And I think you covered, uh, uh, we covered <laughs> a lot of ground. Pan- the the thing about panic, panic is. with anybody, Howard, <laughs> it's going to be you. I love to panic with you. The uh, panic with me. I mean, it's, it really is an interesting thing because, it's so sad to be alone in a panic. Like I have to tell like Brad, man, like the, the ability to tweet out that I'm having a kidney stone and Amy to hear it. And then, you know, I was alone sitting on a gurney at NYU and it wasn't like it was packed and it wasn't Corona packed. It was like, you know, it was two weeks ago or three weeks. I don't know what it was two weeks ago. So actually maybe 
it, it should have been. I think I didn't want to go to the hospital because I thought it was going to be Corona packed. And sure enough, even on a regular night, it was just gurneys everywhere. And then the phone rings and it's you walking me through what it's like to have, uh, you know, as I'm getting my results to have Brad there giving me uh, the walkthrough okay. on what to expect here's, of the here's, kidney. Here's what, here's what my kidney I don't remember. I was on drugs. Yeah. yeah, here's what happened to me. And I mean, that's powerful. That was super, well, I, think I was pretty an, panicked there. I was pretty panicked. It's an important message for your listeners, uh, I think, for because the value each of us can do something to be helpful for others. Yeah. Uh, I was on the phone, uh, I was on a video yesterday with a uh, the TechStars Korea managing director because he lives in Korea, and I was curious about what had worked in Korea, um, and and sort of how he went through. You know, in South Korea, they had you know, a, a really big ramp up and they've, yeah. they've really done a good job of getting it under control. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he had a wonderful way of talking about it, which is he said, don't think about your own health and safety. Think about everyone else's health and safety. Yeah. So he, he said when he was thinking about himself, he got increasingly stressed out. Mm -hmm. Like, am I going to get sick? Am I going to get sick? Am I going to get sick? Like it stressed him out when he flipped it around and thought about what can I do to help everybody else. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden he didn't feel as stressed out. And by the way, his behavior was the same, like he did the same things. Mm -hmm. um, but by, by turning it around, he felt less stress. And so your comment of it, like even just, you know, when you, when you see people around you who are stressed, who are struggling, who are sick, um, rather than run away from them emotionally, moving toward it doesn't mean you have to run towards them physically if somebody's sick with with the virus you obviously don't want to move towards them physically mm -hmm. but move towards them emotionally yep. you know try to be supportive you know go back to the thing that's worked for human civilization for a long long time which is be close to your community yep. and and help people in your community and recognize that today we're living in a community that's not necessarily just physical Right. Whoever's listening to this right now is part of the, uh, you know, Howard Lindzen yeah. stock to its community in a virtual way. Yeah. And we can help each other in really profound ways emotionally as well as functionally through any sort of crisis. Especially so sort knowledge. of move towards it then away. That's right. Once you told me, once I knew what I was expecting, because I was just alone in a room and I didn't want to Google anything because then that really panic sets in. And Dr. Google is the worst thing to look at. <laughs> ever. So that's the one thing I do know is don't Google it. And um, once I knew it, just the surrounding people around me, I could just, once I knew what was wrong with me, the pain subsided. I'm sure it was the same pain, just knowing. And that yep. made me help people, you know, that made me just have empathy for people around me. And, uh, and that's the most important thing. All right. So you uh, have a great weekend. Thanks for taking this time. My pleasure. You and, too. Uh, we'll, uh, pay it forward somewhere, uh, in the system. So, uh, I hope you guys have a great weekend there. Was it, is it uh, a nice weekend there? Is it, did you get some no, it's, it's, it's snowed earlier today. It was a beautiful, ma magnificent Colorado week all week until yesterday. It got cloudy and today it snowed a little bit. So, uh, but I like I, I like this kind of weather too. I like all weather. I'm 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 weather indifferent. Whatever weather indifferent. it is, it is. All right, my man. Yeah. Say hi to Amy and uh, I will. And, Say hi uh, to Alan and good to good to, good to uh, be on, be on the Howard Show with you. Likewise. Thanks for Thank taking care, so Howard. Thanks for the insight. And uh, see y'all soon. See you. Thank you. Bye. There you have it. What do you think? Key words on that guy. Key calm. 
extremely reflected and wise. Yeah. I mean, dude, he's he's the real he's the real deal. He's the real deal. He's a teddy bear, but uh, definitely big brain. And uh, Amy, his wife, big brain. Lucky to have him as mentors. But yeah, I think as we were talking, every the panic is just the beginning. Now the grind. Right. And so I thought it would help to hear from someone. His stories from two. Fred will have them on Monday too. The stories from two. Fred wasn't an operator. Brad was an operator. Or had to be an operator through the after crisis. Actually, Fred did too. He's chairman of street.com or CEO street.com mm-hmm. for a few hours. But um, man, there's, you know, people today with their, with their lives just, you know what I mean? Gig mm-hmm. economy. He, he had, it was on the board of four companies that had to just probably be yeah, gently shut down. So let's keep it all in perspective. Have a great weekend, Friday the 13th, and we'll see you soon on Panic with Friends.